Now, last week, a friend of mine, also a Church of England vicar, was looking at primary schools for his son. And being a Church of England vicar and looking to grow him up in the Christian faith, his son, he was understandably concerned um, that whichever school he sent his son to, that they would give Christianity and the Christian faith a fair hearing, regardless of where they're coming from on the religious um, uh, spectrum. Now, it's pretty hard to get a really clear idea from just one brief open morning, um, so he prayed that God would make it obvious to him where each school was coming from. Turns up, he, he goes to the Church of England school, um, so out of all the schools, the one school that should know uh, better when it comes to sort of normal orthodox uh, Christian faith, being a Church of England school. And it just so happens that this open morning, he steps into a class, and it's a religious studies class, because they're preparing for a religious studies inspection the following week. And as he goes into the class, the teacher's at the front saying, now, class, what happens when after Jesus dies and rises? What does the Holy Spirit become? That's right, class. After Jesus dies and rises, Jesus becomes the Holy Spirit. Jesus transforms into this brand new being. Now, you might not know this if you're looking into Christian things. That is completely wrong. So seriously wrong is this teaching. There is even a heresy named after it called modalism. And this teaching has been banned from the church since the third century, but is now being happily taught in a Church of England primary school in the 21st century. Now, that is not to knock this particular school, and I won't give you the name of it, nor is it to have a particular go at this teacher, who I'm sure it was just trying his best. But it is to say that there is a tremendous amount of confusion when it comes to the Holy Spirit today, who he is, what he really does. For those here with Christian backgrounds, and you may have heard of Christians talking about baptisms in the Spirit, second baptisms in the Spirit, being slain in the Spirit, experiences, emotional highs in the Spirit, and you are left confused. What is a genuine experience of the Spirit today? Some here will not be from Christian backgrounds. You're looking into Christian things. It is great to have you here with us. You may have picked up the God of the Bible is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're thinking, how does that work? Who are these three persons? How do they interrelate? It is why this passage that we have just had read out to us is so important to us today. As Jesus Christ introduces the disciples to the person and work of the Holy Spirit and lays down the record straight who he really is, what he really does, and why having the Spirit in your life is one of the greatest gifts you can ever have. So let's take a look at the passage now. First, the Spirit mediates, that is, brings about the presence of Jesus. The Spirit mediates the presence of Jesus. Take a look at verse 16. Jesus speaking, and I will ask the Father, God the Father, and he will give you, the disciples back then, but every disciple of Jesus today, he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. In other words, here is Jesus Christ promising the disciples another person, another advocate, just like him, to be with the disciples forever. And this person is the Spirit. 
The Spirit is not an it. The Spirit is a he. He is a person, the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Fully divine, distinct from Jesus, but also just like Jesus. He is another advocate. Now, if you will forgive the impersonal illustration. A few years ago, I was playing a squash game, and I play with a Wilson Hyper Hammer 120. I don't know where they get these names from, but that's it. Wilson Hyper Hammer 120 is my squash racket of choice. I was in the middle of a squash match, and I completely smashed my racket. Not out of anger, I should add, but my opponent had played one of these, like, wall huggers of a shot where the ball is going right tight down to the wall. And you're like, should I, shouldn't I? Well, I need to because I'm playing a game. And I tried to and I couldn't and my racket ended up smashed all over the floor where you'd normally lose the match if you've not got another racket. Fortunately, my opponent had a spare one and I thought, okay, well, not bad. I've got another one and let's hope that I can get used to it as quickly as possible. He reaches to his bag, pulls out another racket. Guess which make and model it was. My Wilson Hyper Hammer 120. Same model, same grip, same feel, same control. Clearly a different racket, another racket, because my original one was in a sorry state on the floor, but at the same time, exactly the same type of racket. When Jesus uses this phrase, another advocate, this is what he means by another. Different, distinct from Jesus. Sure, the Spirit is his own person, the third person of the Trinity but also exactly like Jesus, who mediates the presence of Jesus to us. Jim Packer, British theologian, says in his book, Keep in Step with the Spirit, the essence of the Holy Spirit's ministry at this time or any time in the Christian era is to mediate the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why is this so significant? Glance back to verse 1 of chapter 14 before our passage. Jesus speaking, do not let your hearts be troubled. Glance forward now to verse 27 in our passage towards the end. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Why are the disciples' hearts so troubled? Because Jesus has just been teaching that he is going to leave them. He is going to die He is going to return to his father. And they are like, what on earth? I remember the first time I had to face the death of someone close to me, someone I loved. It was the death of my grandfather, my mother's father. I was age 10. And what I found most upsetting about it was the simple fact that I would not see my grandfather again that I would not be able to talk to him again, not be able to spend time with him, not be able to seek his wisdom. We used to play a lot of chess together, but we had now played our final game. And I knew that you know, I would just miss him with him no longer around. The disciples have been with Jesus Christ every day for three years. They have given up everything to follow him. Here is the Messiah, the one who is going to change the world. And now you're off. Now you're leaving us. Of course, their hearts are troubled. And it's into this context, and it's into, in between these two statements of Jesus saying, do not let your hearts be troubled, 
that Jesus teaches about the Spirit and him being with them forever and in a way they'd never experienced before. Do not worry. I'm coming back to you. When the Spirit comes, I'll be with you forever and in a way you cannot begin to imagine now. Just look at verse 17. Look at the intimacy, the closeness of the vocabulary here in verse 17. The world cannot accept him, that is the Spirit, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Verse 20, on that day you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. People often talk at funerals about the deceased, you know, that their spirit you know, lives on in each of us. If only that were true. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, it really is true. His spirit really does live in every believer's heart. You in me, I in you, Jesus says. This unbreakable bond, this intimate connection. Jesus with you 24-7. Now can I be as clear as I can when I say the spirit is not a force that zaps you. He is a person who brings Jesus to you. This is unique to Christianity. No other world religion or worldview has anything like this. This intimate, close connection, deep, personal relationship with God. It is how we can relate to Jesus now, even though he's no longer physically with us. It is how we can be assured of Jesus' love, his forgiveness, his presence with us. It's how we can talk to him in prayer, hear his voice through the Bible, be united to his body, his church, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit mediates the presence of Jesus. Secondly, the Spirit teaches everything about Jesus. Verse 16 again. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And what is he called this advocate? The Spirit of truth. In other words, the Spirit is a teacher. He teaches truth. But what truth does he teach? Verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. In other words, the Spirit teaches the truth about Jesus Christ. Everything he said. But we need to be careful in our understanding of how this teaching happens. Because it is tempting to apply these verses directly to us. And think, oh, the Spirit will speak directly to us. Teach us directly the truth about Jesus Christ. Remind us directly of everything he said 2,000 years ago whilst he was on earth. That is not the case. Who is Jesus talking to directly here? The 12 apostles. Clearly he is talking that I will remind you of everything I have said to you. Everything Jesus said to them on earth. That is not to us. That is about them. 
And so the way the Spirit teaches the truth about Jesus Christ to us today is through the words of the apostles. The Spirit-reminded words of the apostles contained for us now in the Bible. Why is this such good news? Many people today doubt the truth, the infallibility of this book, the Bible. Because clearly this book contains the words of men, and men are fallible. And ideas change, and thinking develops, so the Bible's a product of its time, 2,000 years ago, and we've moved on from that time so we can move on from the Bible. That is to miss what Jesus Christ is teaching here about the role of the Spirit in the writing of the Bible. The Spirit who is infallible because the Spirit is God himself. The Spirit reminded the apostles of everything Jesus said. The Spirit guided the apostles and made sure they wrote down everything just right. So yes, the Bible is written by human hands with each author's own distinctive style and his character. Each character clearly comes through their writings. But do you see that behind every word and every phrase of the Bible is the infallible hand of the Holy Spirit? I was reading this week about how under hypnosis, a skilled hypnotist can take an individual back to a certain event in the past and bring out long forgotten details. Now if that is possible to a human being with his limited knowledge, how much more certain is it with the Spirit of God with his infinite divine knowledge? You and I can be absolutely sure, have absolute confidence in these words teaching us the truth about Jesus Christ today because these are spirit-inspired human words. And that means, by the way, that we must never pit the word against the spirit, as some Christians, some churches are prone to do. I remember at university people describing some churches as spirit-filled churches and other churches as word-filled churches. I'm not sure if you've ever heard that phrase yourself, as if you can separate word and spirit. But properly understood and properly practiced, you cannot have one without the other. Because the spirit is what? The spirit of truth. Because the sword of the spirit is the word of God. So you might think you have a spirit-filled church with what seems to be great experiences of God and emotional highs and dramatic effects, but if there is no truth about Christ from the Bible, no teaching about him, no leading of these experiences to him, then you need to question what these experiences really are. You may feel great for a time, but the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And he always puts the spotlight in Jesus and loves to teach people about Jesus and draw people to him through the words of the Bible. A genuine, Spirit-filled church is always a word-filled church. But be careful, on the flip side, you may have a church which is devoted to God's word, really focused on the truth about Jesus Christ. But if there is no dependence on the Spirit to reveal that truth to you, no repentance from the Spirit's conviction of sin, no moving to faith in Jesus Christ and a deeper reliance on Him, then you can have a cold, dry formalism, intellectualism, 
but you don't have a genuine experience of the Spirit because the Spirit is the Spirit of truth who brings God's word alive in people's hearts. So the Spirit mediates the presence of Jesus. The Spirit teaches everything about Jesus. Thirdly and finally, the Spirit helps us to obey Jesus. Did you notice how love and obedience go hand in hand in this passage? Uh, Verse 15, the first verse of our passage, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. Now glance down to verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Verse 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. This very tight link, do you see, between love of Jesus and obedience to him. Now, most people hear these, you know, hear verses like this and they start to worry because they think, well, man, if, if I'm really to love Jesus, I'm meant to keep his commands, but I often disobey his commands um, and I muck up and I go my own way. Does that mean I don't really love Jesus? Does that mean I'm not really a Christian at all? Now, look, for some here, these verses might be a challenge to you. If you think or claim to love Jesus but don't care at all about his commands or don't think that obedience really matters well yes it does and feel that challenge but this verse primarily is given here as an encouragement in the original greek verse 15 is in the pre- in the future tense if you love me you will keep my commands this is a promise a promise that goes all the way back to ezekiel 36 jeremiah 31 and the age of the spirit when the spirit would come and finally god's people would be able to do what God says and keep his commands. Just think about the disciples for a moment. When were the disciples most assured of God's love? When were they most bold in their evangelism? Most secure in their faith? Was it when they were with Jesus face to face physically? No, it was not. They denied him. They betrayed him. They all deserted him on the cross. When were they most confident? When were they most bold? When were they most obedient to Jesus Christ? It was after Pentecost. It was after the Spirit had been given. Not when they they were with Jesus, but when the Spirit was in them. And if you are trusting in Jesus Christ, please be assured that you have that same Spirit in you now. Do you ever think if only I was alive back then when Jesus was alive and I could see him and I could talk to him and I could touch him, you know, then I would really believe it. I'd really go, then I'd really obey him. Wasn't true for the disciples. Why do you think it would be any different for you? No, the gift of the Holy Spirit is one of the greatest gifts of all because the Spirit mediates the very presence of Jesus teaches you everything about him and even helps you to obey him. So I wonder if you're a follower of Jesus here, whether you realize just how privileged you are, just what a gift it is to have the Holy Spirit in your life. Because Jesus has not left you alone. He's with you 24-7. 
Everything you need to know about him and life is here, contained in the Bible. And his power is always available to you. To understand his teaching, to believe his teaching, to keep his commands, to follow him wherever that might take you. Now that is who the Holy Spirit is. And that is what the Holy Spirit does. Let me pray that for each and every one of us now. Let's pray. Father God, thank you very much for this incredibly important passage as Jesus teaches about the identity and role of the Holy Spirit. And I pray you'd give each and every one of us a very clear understanding. The Spirit is a person who brings you to be with us forever as we trust in you. The Spirit teaches us everything about you from your words, the Bible, that you help the apostles to remember and write down. And even now, your Spirit helps us to obey you and keep your commands. Please would we be alert to the Spirit's presence in our life if we are trusting in you. And please would we be very excited by this offer and this promise of the Spirit if any of us here are to put our trust in Jesus for the first time. And we ask it for your name's sake. Amen.